I'm Robert Schertzer, Clinical Associate Professor, UBC Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences, and we're talking about glaucoma for July 8th, 2009. I have the honor of talking with Stephen Drance, Professor Emeritus at UBC, in the first of a two-part episode on normal tension glaucoma. In this episode, we discuss whether pressure lowering affects the course of the disease and also the natural history of the disease as reported in the normal tension glaucoma studies. Please check the show notes of this podcast for references. Welcome to the podcast. It's nice to be here. Let's talk a bit about normal tension glaucoma. With pleasure. I guess... Four of the key points, which I'm sure we'll get to at, at some point, are female, migraines, Raynaud's, and disc hemorrhages. But we'll yes, I think that's fair enough. And pressure. And pre- oh, pressure too. <laughs> I guess that's, that's actually a very important point, and certainly in many patients, uh, pressure still needs to be lowered, even though the pressure is in the low end of the normal range. Yes. Um, well, as as you know, um, about 20 years ago, um, it was really quite unknown whether pressure reduction, pressure has anything to do with normal tension glaucoma. And uh, it was decided at that time by a group of us that really that is a question that needed to be studied and answered. And so that was the origin of the normal tension glaucoma study. And it, was, was that the only factor at, you at, at, thought you would be looking at? At that moment, with the knowledge that was available at that time, uh, we first of all wanted to ask the scientific question, does pressure lowering affect the course of the disease? And that was the scientific design of the study and uh, it involved uh, uh, people who had normal tension glaucoma Uh, the definition is sort of outlined in the protocol Uh, we allowed one pressure reading uh, of 24 that could have been there but in the protocol, but de facto, none of them had anything over 20 millimeters of mercury at any time. Okay. And the idea was to uh, establish a, a randomized a group of glaucoma patients, uh, normal tension glaucoma patients, uh, into a treated um, group whose pressures would be reduced arbitrarily by 30% or more, and an untreated control group who would have no treatment at that time. There were a number of firsts in the study because it was really the first randomized study or the major randomized study and secondly, it was certainly one of the first that had co- controls, untreated controls in normal tension glaucoma. Uh, the idea was that we would enroll those patients, we would follow them uh, without any treatment until 
they showed signs of definite change, uh, in other words, definite deterioration, right. at which time they would be uh, either randomized to the treatment or the non-treatment group. Uh, we had, however, to be extremely careful uh, because because of the fact that there were untreated controls and therefore our measurements of deterioration had to be very minor, very sensitive so that we weren't doing harm to people who obviously needed a different course of treatment. Now correct me if I'm wrong, isn't it in the normal tension glaucoma study where basically it was discovered that people have a learning phenomenon with the visual field? No, that was already known. Okay. That was already known. And so we, uh, we had at least three visual fields done in a period of a couple of weeks uh, in the study okay. uh, for baseline purposes. And uh, the criteria, as I say, were very sensitive. And as a result of this, we found many false positives uh, and had to change the model because we were too sensitive and so we designed a change which allowed us to um, change the specificity, improve the specificity but at a minimal change of the sensitivity of the test and that is finally the visual fields which were uh, described and accepted for the study. And basically, uh, the first thing we did was to, oh, incidentally, um, the, the, the clock started to tick in the treated group uh, from in the people who drew the treatment uh, regime as their lot in life. Uh, it's the clock started to tick from the time we actually reduced the intraocular pressure by 30% or more. Okay. Uh, and I will come back to that. Well, now, the thing that we, we, first of all, we enrolled 230 patients to the study. We, in order to be very sensitive, we also decided that anybody who had, had a threat to fixation was automatically uh, automatically um, put into treatment or non-treatment. In other words, they were randomized immediately. So we didn't want people who were threatening fixation to have to do a little more before we actually randomized them. Um, but, but even though they had a threat to fixation, they could still be randomized into the could be, control they, group. They could be in the non-treated group, non group and okay. where and one of the things that incidentally we found that there was absolutely no difference between the people who had a threat to fixation and the people who did not have a threat to fixation in terms of how they responded to their medication right. and things. Uh, the result of course uh, was that we had 145 people who were randomized uh, and to the two groups and uh, those patients were followed for a further progression of the disease. And at that stage, of course, they 
dropped out of the study and were managed in whatever the physician who treated the patient decided they wanted to do. Um, we thought when the study was first uh, introduced that reducing the pressure by 30% would require a surgical procedure. We found again an unexpected finding was that 50% of those patients who drew the lot of having to have their pressure reduced did so uh, with laser or pilocarpine and acetazolamide. We, we should remind our younger listeners that the treatment options were laser, pilocarpine, acetazolamide, and... And nothing else. No uh, and surgery. Right, but no chemoal because of a no, possible... No, because any, any vascular potential drugs that had a vascular effect could confound the issue and therefore we excluded that. We really concentrated right. on the pressure as being the only factor that was sort of altered. So with those, you might say, limited options, it was still quite remarkable that so few patients actually went to surgery. Well, 50% right. had to go to surgery. But the interesting was that in the other 50% followed over time meticulously the intraocular pressure was reduced by 30% or more. Right. And of course, we found very quickly, uh, you know, after a couple of years, it became very clear that the group who had their pressure reduced did better than the group who did not have their pressure reduced, even all of them being normal tension glaucoma patients. And that was the first finding. Right. Um, we then... There, there, there was yeah. one set subset, though, if we sort of jump ahead here, where pressure didn't make a difference. No, right? we will come to that. Okay. Yes, no, we come to that. Uh, we then were able, by going back to our original fields, uh, which is when they entered the study as opposed to when they were randomized, right. Uh, we were able to use those baselines, including a, an algorithm, uh, a computerized algorithm, uh, to be able to convert the study into a clinical trial so that, in fact, the 140 patients who were randomized, uh, they started to be measured from the baseline visual field as opposed to when they reached the pressure reduction okay. and that uh, allowed us then to do. And the same conclusion uh, with the exception that um, they did not show this difference between the two arms for a fairly long time and we started to worry about why we showed the positive finding uh, in the scientific way, and then clinically we couldn't separate the two groups. And that was actually due to the cataract formation. And when we, um, uh, when we took into account the cataract formation by discontinuing the, uh, the, the uh, data analysis at the time when the cataract was established after, particularly after surgery, of course, that, in fact, uh, there was absolutely no question about the difference in the clinical trial. Now, there were 
there was another very interesting finding, and that is that although everybody had their pressure reduced by 30%, otherwise they didn't qualify really to be in the treatment arm, uh, in spite of that, and in spite of the fact that they had the pressure reduced in the treated arm by 30, at least 30%, about 20, between 20 and 25% of those patients who had their pressure satisfactorily reduced over that time continued to progress. And that was um, an important finding. It has, it has important uh, connotations. Right. We were then in the position to look at all those patients who were not treated in the study. Now, that's taking now the 230 that were enrolled and to use those who drew the lot of being controls and therefore not treated, together with all those who were followed but never showed progression and were therefore not randomized. And that untreated group, we called it the natural history of glaucoma, and we were taken to task about that because, quite rightly, it wasn't the natural history of glaucoma. It was a natural history of the untreated normal tension glaucoma, as opposed to being purist about what the natural history of the disease is, which would require sort of cradle-to-grave okay. follow-up. But uh, we studied those patients and we found in them uh, that, and now we're talking all about, only about untreated patients, so their pressures were unchanged. And we found that about half of them, over fairly prolonged periods of time, showed no deterioration in spite of the fact that nothing was done to their pressure. We found about 48%, uh, maybe just under 48%, maybe 45%, who um, deteriorated in a localized way, but very slowly, uh, and there was very little drama in the situation. They were progressing. And then there were 5% who progressed really rather rapidly and they were, became very clear and they are certainly patients who would be in visual difficulty in that eye if one was going to leave them in the study. But that, we, that was an un... The, the great variation in the natural history of the untreated disease uh, certainly was a new finding for us. Uh, we, we didn't know that would happen. Now, the patients who were originally randomized to not be treated, if they did show significant progression, were they moved to the treatment group? Oh, well, they, were, they, would, that they would have reached endpoint in the study. Okay. Uh, oh, so they drop out of the study and they start being treated. Oh, yeah. Well, they would be managed clinically according to okay. the, the knowledge of the, or not only knowledge, but okay. also the, the belief of the treating ophthalmologist. Mm -hmm. yeah.
That's our show for today. In the next episode of Talking About Glaucoma, our conversation continues with a discussion of the correlation of the natural history of normal tension glaucoma with the non-pressure-related risk factors of female, migraine, disc hemorrhages, and Raynaud's. Talking About Glaucoma is a non-profit podcast that I produce once or twice each month as time permits in AAC format that includes chapter markers and in MP3 format that does not. I am the director of the West Coast Glaucoma Center in Vancouver and clinical associate professor of ophthalmology and visual sciences at the University of British Columbia. Please send comments or suggestions to podcast at iguy.org, that's podcast at iguy.org, and follow me on Twitter where I am Rob Scherzer. Also, check out our website at westcoastglaucoma.com and my personal blog that is always a work in progress at wholelotorob.com.